0: Welcome, everybody, to our podcast, the first in our series delivering DI, uh, which will focus on diversity and inclusion in financial services. Uh, I'm Jonathan Herbst, I head the financial services team globally at NRF, and I'm joined by Hannah Meakin, one of my long standing partners in the team, and Hannah McCaslin Schaff, who's a counsel in our team and does a lot of work in this area. Uh, today, we're going to be discussing the papers that the FCA and the PRA brought out on the 25th of September in this area. So without further ado, wanted to hand over to Hannah and ask you, can you just talk a little bit around the driver behind the both regulators focused on diversity and inclusion?
1: Yes, uh, thank you, Jonathan. Uh, I think that's uh, Hannah Meakin. <laughs> so uh, sure yes, the two Hannahs. <laughs> Indeed. Um, yeah, so the recent consultation papers follow a range of work undertaken by the UK regulators in recent years, uh, most notably, the FCA, PRA, and Bank of England's joint discussion paper from July two thousand and twenty-one, and then the launch by the FCA in April two thousand and twenty-two of its three-year strategy to improve outcomes for consumers and markets, which set a number of priorities, including accelerating the pace of change on DNI. The regulator's view is that greater diversity and inclusion can help can improve outcomes for consumers in financial markets by reducing groupthink supporting healthy working cultures, and improving understanding of and provision for diverse consumer needs. Greater diversity can also support the international competitiveness of the UK's financial services sector and help unlock talent from those with underrepresented characteristics and support career progression. Focusing on D&I also supports the work that the FCA and the industry have undertaken to implement the consumer duty. In fact, recent research has shown that consumers in minority ethnic groups are disproportionately likely to have low financial resilience, so the duty and the regulators' work on d are aligned and mutually reinforcing. Diversity in organisation means three things for these purposes. One is demographic diversity, two is diversity of experience, and three is diversity of thought. As well as ensuring that firms are diverse, it's also important that firms are inclusive. An inclusive firm is one which establishes a culture that welcomes and encourages the sharing of a wide range of perspectives and ideas, including from minority groups.
0: Thanks, Hannah. And uh, just before handing over to other Hannah, I mean it's interesting, isn't it, the scope of what they're talking about, which goes beyond some of the early understandings of what DNI is about. Perhaps um, Hannah, you can talk a little bit around the main proposals and some of the broader context in that sense.
2: Thank you, Jonathan. You're right, there's quite a bit packed away in these consultation papers, but there are really seven key themes. Firstly, data reporting and disclosure. Secondly, DNI strategies. The third theme is diversity targets. The fourth theme is risk assessments. The fifth theme is non-financial misconduct conduct in the threshold conditions. The sixth theme is board governance. And the final theme is the interplay with SMCR and considerations around individual responsibility and accountability. How these requirements apply depends on the type and size of firm. And it's important to be aware that not all firms will need to comply with all aspects of the proposals. Firstly, firms will need to provide certain information about their employee base to the regulators and the public. Regulators consider that consistent d data is critical to understanding a firm's composition and designing interventions to address areas of underrepresentation and lack of inclusion. So firstly, in terms of data collection and reporting to the regulators, small firms with less than 250 employees, whether they are dual or solo regulated, will only need to report the number of employees to the relevant regulator. This is to help ensure that the regulators can assess which firms should be in scope of the different parts of the proposed policy package. The main requirements in relation to data collection and reporting apply to large regulated firms, whether solo or dual regulated, with 251 or more employees. These will need to collect and report to the regulators in numerical figures, data across a range of demographic characteristics inclusion matrix and targets via a regulatory return. The information that will be provided is split into two buckets. There is mandatory information which all large firms will need to provide. This includes information around age, sexual orientation, sex or gender, disability and long-term health conditions, ethnicity and religion of staff. There's also a range of additional information that large firms can provide to the regulators on a voluntary basis. This information includes data relating to parental responsibility, carer responsibilities, gender identity, socioeconomic economic background, and the reporting of both sex and gender. Firms will need to have processes in place to collect this data and appropriately report the required information to the regulators. The proposal is that firms would report the required information to regulators annually. Secondly, in terms of disclosure to the public, This requirement only applies to large firms with 251 or more employees. It would require such firms to disclose data on the percentage of employees that are representative of different demographic characteristics. Such disclosure will help the market to better understand the demographic composition of different firms' workforces. Again, the intention is that these disclosures would be made on an annual basis. Another key area that certain firms will need to be thinking about is the proposal requiring firms to establish, implement, and maintain an effective DNI strategy. This requirement applies to large solo regulated firms, i.e. those with 251 or more employees, and dual-regulated firms of all sizes. The DNA strat- strategy needs to be evidence-based and cover, as a minimum, the firm's DNI objectives and goals, a plan for meeting those objectives and goals and measuring progress a summary of the arrangements in place to identify and manage any obstacles to meeting those objectives and goals, and ways to ensure adequate knowledge of the DNI strategy amongst staff. Thirdly, large firms, so those with 251 or more employees, will need to determine and set appropriate diversity targets. Targets play an important role in driving progress, and there is evidence that voluntary target setting has led to significant increases in gender and ethnic diversity across FTSE 350 firms. Regulators generally expect firms to set at least one target for each of the board, its senior leadership, and the employee population as a whole. Firms need to review and update their targets regularly to ensure they remain stretching but realistic. Firms will also need to publicly disclose their targets and progress towards them annually. Such disclosure will promote transparency and allow firms and other interested stakeholders to benchmark progress. The fourth area I'd like to highlight is the regulators' focus on DNI as a non-financial risk that needs to be treated appropriately within firms' governance structures. This applies to large solar regulated firms and dual-regulated firms of all sizes. Risk functions, internal audit, HR, corporate responsibility teams, and conduct specialists can all play a role in helping firms to embed DNI practices monitor progress against targets, and identify areas for targeted interventions. Hannah Meakin, I know you've also been considering some of the main issues raised by the consultation papers. Is there anything that you want to highlight?
1: Thank you, Hannah. I I think what you said is a really helpful summary of some of the main issues. Um, But if I were to just mention a couple of others. So the first one is around the focus in the consultation papers on non-financial misconduct and embedding considerations around that into the way that firms carry on their business. So the proposal is that non-financial misconduct needs to be considered as part of fitness and propriety assessments, the application of the conduct rules, and the regulators' consideration of the suitability threshold condition. And then the other thing I wanted to mention is is board governance in terms of recruitment, succession planning, and talent pipelines. So it's interesting when you look at the two consultation papers that the regulators appear not to be entirely aligned in their approach to this. But I think that probably reflects, to some extent, the the nature, scale, and complexity of the the different types of firms that they're they're regulating, or at least the the kind of the full scope of those firms and their um in their uh, populations. So the FCA is not taking forward proposals on board recruitment, succession planning, and talent pipelines due to high indicative costs and the need to avoid unnecessary disruption. Instead, the FCA considers its proposals on firms setting targets to be a simpler and more effective way of driving progress. But on the other hand, the PRA expects firms to apply board diversity and inclusion strategies to board subcommittees as appropriate. The board diversity and inclusion strategy itself would need to be published on the firm's website Rather than just having a statement of how a firm complies with the requirement alongside the firm wide strategy. The firm wide and board strategies would be expected to be complementary and easily accessible to stakeholders to help them understand the firm's approach holistically. In terms of succession planning, the PRA proposes to clarify that when considering succession planning, upcoming appointments should also be considered in the context of diversity. This might include planning how to use appropriate avenues of recruitment when seeking candidates for future directorships. Jonathan, the other key piece is the interplay between SMCR and individual accountability on the one hand and the DNI agenda on the other. Um, I know that you've been looking at this for a number of clients recently. Is there anything you wanted to highlight in this respect?
0: Yeah, well, I mean, the big point is, and I think it flows in a sense from what you're saying as well, PRA and FCA are taking different approaches. Uh, PRA is mandating you know this as you know you have to have somebody who is responsible for this from a senior management uh, perspective and also there are prescribed responsibilities in terms of culture of course which then will cover this explicitly FCA is not going that route Um, that's not to say it won't be an important overall part of the senior management responsibilities within the FCA well I just think it's a different scale Uh, in the PRA world there's some quite detailed guidance on The role of the chair of the board in relation to pri and you know obviously uh, their oversight of the whole of the board making sure that there's adequate time and and opportunity to consider these issues and importantly for prh in relation to the ceo their overall responsibility for overseeing the adoption of the firm's culture in the day-to-day management of the firm and crucially their inclusion, uh, the inclusion of that in their own performance objectives and REM scorecards. So no no surprises there, but just quite an interesting contrast. But coming back to the beginning of this discussion, I think it's critical to understand just one or two macro points uh, where they are absolutely aligned. In particular, what I would describe as the expansion of the meaning of inclusion. It isn't just about, um, you know, Um, having enough women at senior level that is an important factor but there's much more to it particularly economic empowerment issues economic background issues so I think it's really part of the sort of newer agenda and it's a really fascinating development uh, we'll see uh, as part of the evolution Hannah we've sort of heard a lot around the various sort of changes that are happening anything you wanted to add in terms of next steps
2: Yeah, thanks very much, Jonathan. So so the deadline for firms to provide feedback on both consultations is the 18th of December this year. Once the regulators have feedback, the, the intention is that they will review it and develop final regulatory requirements in 2024, and those will be published in the course of next year. Once the final rules have been published, firms then have a period of 12 months to implement the requirements into their systems, procedures and processes
1: so thank you to my colleagues and to everyone for listening we do hope you found this helpful do look out for more podcasts and blog posts in this area from us in coming months